Public education is essential to our democracy. It is absolutely essential. If we don't have an educated workforce and we don't train and educate our kids to participate fully in our society and our democracy, we're in trouble. From Stanford University and SiriusXM, this is Stanford Legal. I'm Rich Ford. And I'm Joe Bankman. Today we're talking with Laura Juren, Chief Counsel for the California Teaching Association, about teacher shortages, book bans, and how schools and unions are working through the pandemic. You know, Joe, during the pandemic, everyone has been stressed out in a number of ways, but probably no one more than parents of school-aged children. And one of the places that stress and anxiety and the extra pressures have really come to ground is in the um, closing of public schools, moving classes into the virtual mode and online, and then the conflicts around reopening, how quickly schools should reopen and under what conditions. And so a lot of that has set up some fairly high profile, but maybe unrepresentative conflicts between teachers who don't want to open as early and parents who want the schools open so they can get their kids back to in-class instruction. That's right, Rich. And a lot of that stress in turn gets reflected and directed to teachers. And even before the great pandemic, teachers were leaving their jobs. I won't say in droves, but at alarming numbers, creating teacher shortages really throughout the nation. And now that stress and the great resignation have accelerated that process. And today we're going to talk to our guest who has her finger on the pulse, as it were, of where California teachers are with respect to all these issues. So there have been in the news of several accounts of kind of dramatic teacher walkouts from schools And the way it's often portrayed is that the teachers have walked out, the parents are upset, they can't send their kids to school, and it's a clash between teachers leaving the classroom out of concerns about COVID transmission and the parents who need to send their kids to school. But Laura, you are kind of on the front lines of a lot of these controversies. Could you give us some context about what's going on with these teacher walkouts? Yes, absolutely, Rich. Thank you. Um, I think that portrayal you've described is inaccurate by and large. Yes, there have been a, a couple of cases earlier in the pandemic where a lot of educators were frustrated with the lack of safety measures um, in place to deal with COVID. But by and large, school districts in California and the unions that represent the employees in those schools have actually bargained well together to make schools as safe as they could be during this pandemic. And I think, Rich, if I can provide a little bit of context, when the COVID pandemic hit, it's important to remember that, you know, in California schools, we educate over 6 million students in over, you know, 10,000 schools in over 1,000 school districts. And on a dime, teachers had to convert to remote learning engage students on a totally different platform that was far from ideal, that no one thought was ideal, during a very stressful time. Um, had, schools had to figure out how to get Wi-Fi to kids. Schools had to figure out how to get lunch, school lunches to kids. And the pandemic, don't forget, of course, hit people of color the most hard. And in California, about 78% of public school children are, are kids of color. 
So it was a tremendous challenge. The science was evolving and it really was an incredible, you know, incredibly difficult challenge. And, you know, it didn't help that, you know, the federal government and arguably state governments had not invested sufficiently in public health, right, before the pandemic, which left us a little, I think, flat footed as a society to deal with the with the uh, challenge of the pandemic. So just I think that context is important to understand the challenge that everyone was facing. Um, and by and large, there were actually many things I think that the state government and school districts in California did well. Thank you, Laura. I mean, I think that educating 6 million students, I mean, we think of our own office environments, but much less challenging because for one thing, they're all adults. We have slightly longer attention spans, at least some of us. And we don't have to deal with our colleagues and their parents at the same time. Can you give us a, a kind of a feel-good story about how would you reframe what we've done in California and what the, the school teachers and their union managed to do? Yes. Um, so... You know, again, we have over a thousand school districts in California, and uh, my organization, the California Teachers Association, has over a thousand chapters representing employees. And at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a framework put in place, a labor management framework signed on by a broad coalition of, of education stakeholders, management, labor, and even state agencies around trying to negotiate around the pandemic. And by and large, in the vast majority of cases in California, agreements were negotiated to try and get PPE in place. And again, I think there was a, a misconception in the media that somehow teachers unions were keeping schools closed last year. The reality was that teachers wanted schools to be open safely. And so they were advocating for safety measures. And this is what, of course, unions have long done for workers in the workplace. I mean, it, it, we can all agree that we want to have safe school environments for kids. So in, in one example, it might be in, in San Diego, uh, the San Diego Education Association repre represents the educators in San Diego Unified School District. They got down at the table with UC San Diego uh, medical experts, public health folks. They got a, community folks together and hammered out a framework for making the schools safe. And they were actually collecting data, too, that was useful around transmission rates and testing protocols and so on. And that was pretty effective. And it was it's a good story. And it's not one you hear a lot about in the media. It's interesting that the media account with the walkouts and the clashes between teachers and students that's taken up so much airtime. The teachers are kind of on the front line of a lot of anger and anxiety surrounding COVID generally. It seems that te teachers are um, have always been under a great deal of pressure, but now maybe they're under more pressure than ever. How is that affecting retention of teachers? And how is that affecting the quality of the job for teachers? Unfortunately, it's affecting the job really negatively and, and the profession um, in a very adverse way. And let me say that we had a bit of a, we're talking now about the great resignation, right, among the workforce in general, but there was sort of a great resignation of, of teachers before the pandemic. And there are a lot of fat reasons for that. Um, you know, in part, this goes back 10, you know, over 10 years where um, there was a lot after the Great Recession, there were a lot of layoffs of educators. But frankly, there hasn't been enough done to kind of make the profession, right, you know, attract, sufficiently attractive in the first place to recruit folks to go into teacher preparation programs. In the 10 years leading up to the pandemic, there was a 35% drop in teacher preparation programs in enrollees. And it's a combination of 
relatively low pay, particularly given the debt one takes on to get a master's degree and get credentialed and, you know, stressful working conditions, even in the best of times before the pandemic. Um, and, and, and a lack of respect, I think, um, for educators in too many cases. So what we're finding now um, is, for example, there was a national survey of teachers around the country, and 55% of teachers have said that they are more likely to leave the profession now or retire early, specifically as a result of the pandemic. And that was double the number that said the same thing in summer of 2020. As a consequence of that, are we looking at something like a shortage of teachers? You know, I mean, typically, if you've got a you know profession where the job is hard, then the pay needs to be higher in order to make up for that and to attract people to the profession. And yet, teacher salaries haven't gone up a whole lot, have they? No, they have not. And you know, we we saw the red for ed movement around the country before the pandemic, where a lot of teachers, you know, around the country said they were really fed up with inadequate pay for very difficult working conditions. There have been some improvements, um, and you know, teachers unions obviously do what they can to try and improve that situation and 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 push for better working conditions, which are students' learning conditions. You know, I mean, we all know that st- that students need caring, well qualified, well trained educators in their schools. And research, of course, is also clear that teacher shortages depress student achievement, right? Because when you have more churn in the system, less qualified teachers tend to leave the profession more twice or or even three times the rates of of well-prepared teachers. And that kind of churn is not good for student achievement. And it's, it's it's a serious issue. And there are many organizations I'd recommend. The Learning Policy Institute has is published a number of studies around the teacher shortages and how it's reached a real crescendo now as a result of the pandemic. And of course, when we don't have enough workers in some industries, all of us who are consumers know you just pay more. So the restaurant raises its prices, and if you don't like it, you don't eat there, but that's the way it is. Uh, To pay teachers more, we need to raise taxes. And that's kind of the third rail of American politics in general. So the market, to the extent there's a market, it doesn't adjust in the same way for public servants. That's, you know, that is true. Uh, The reality though is public education is essential to our democracy. It is absolutely essential. If we don't have an educated workforce and we don't train and educate our kids to participate fully in our society and our democracy, we're in trouble. And I think we all agree on that. Um, so these, inv- so investing in public education is a unique obligation and in fact a constitutional obligation under the state constitutions. There's a fascinating book that Derek Black wrote called Schoolhouse Burning, which kind of talks about that history of every state constitution actually requiring the state to provide a system of common schools to educate our kids. Those are investments that are constitutionally required and critical if we want to maintain a healthy democracy. So in a sense, what's been going on post-COVID is just exacerbated a trend that was already in place pre-COVID with teachers being kind of overburdened, underpaid, burnout. So post-COVID, what can we do in order to improve the situation? Uh, you know, hopefully COVID's on its way out and things will kind of get back to normal, but you're saying normal wasn't that great. What, what are the reforms that we can make in order to make our schools better and our teachers happier? 
So I think we need to, to invest in our public institutions. Um, that includes public health, you know, authorities and efforts as well as public education. And I think there's a lot we can do that's not just about compensation, which is, I think, important, as, as, as Joe pointed out, as just a matter of, of, frankly, of common sense. If people have other options to make more money, particularly when they have advanced degrees, why are they going to choose teaching when it's so difficult? But you can make the conditions also more supportive of teachers, you respect their professional judgment. I think we're unfortunately seeing, um, we've seen this before, this is not new, but this sense that teachers somehow are not, um, they don't have our kids' best interests at heart or somehow are indoctrinating children in ways that parents aren't agreeing with or, or what have you. I think showing teachers more respect providing them more support and also, frankly, providing kids more support. So if you have just more adults in the system, say mental health counselors, for example, for kids, we're seeing one example that I think is a, a bright spot is the community schools model, which is also not new, but there's a real renewed effort around investing in what are called community schools. And California has invested a lot of money now, to its credit, in establishing community schools, which are intended to connect with other you know, nonprofits and other organizations in a community to provide wraparound services for kids, particularly for the kids who face the most obstacles. I think that's a real bright spot as well. And if those kinds of efforts are put in place, it teaching would be more attractive. It would be easier to not just attract folks to the profession, but help retain them once they're there. You know, Laura, a lot of people look at the school system and they say the problems are the unions. And I know that's, we've touched upon that a little bit. One of the false claims seems to be that the unions have led to walkouts, which is just empirically not true. There haven't been that many walkouts. And in fact, our schools managed to keep going in the ways a lot of our businesses didn't. Another complaint you sometimes hear is that uh, it's too hard to get rid of bad teachers. And uh, we've heard that. There's even been some some, uh, litigation on that. Uh, sometimes uh, uh, people blame the unions for that. Can you talk about the uh, kind of the unions, teachers, meritocracy? How would you respond to, to those broad claims? So the, those claims are inaccurate, uh, and that litigation failed as well. Um, part of the narrative around the, quote, bad teacher um, is part of a bigger conversation that we probably don't have time for around attacking public schools um, and, uh, you know, and attacking unions because they're seen as supportive of the Democratic Party. Uh, that's kind of a big conversation. But I think that narrative, though, is actually false. I mean, you know, people go into teaching because they care about kids, because they want to provide a quality education to kids, um, and they care about our futures, um, you know, our future, our future as a society. I and mean, that's the reality. Um, and, and I think focusing on, you know, mistakes that teachers make or, you know, or some teachers that are not performing well is a real distraction from the real problems. Um, the teacher shortage is a way bigger problem than, than focusing on 2% of the profession that needs to be, you know, could be performing better, for example. Um, even before the pandemic in Oakland Unified, which is a district that serves a lot of kids who face a lot of obstacles. 75% of teachers in Oakland Unified lead within five years. This is before the pandemic. That's the real problem. And I think, um, you know, that is what we need to be focusing on. And this distraction around teachers unions and, and it's just, and, and teachers unions are have long supported providing supports for kids, 
equity in schools. I'm going to give you a ton of examples. We supported the local control funding formula in California, which is intended to provide equitable funding to schools and provide greater resources to schools that serve a lot of high needs kids. Um, lots of examples like that. Um, and, you, you know, and teachers unions and other unions generally, I, I strongly maintain, are a, a real force for good. One example from the pandemic, which is a tiny example, um, is that unions push for supplemental paid sick leave for all workers. Um, and this is so now not once, but twice the California legislature provided past legislation providing for supplemental paid sick leave for folks who need to be out of work because of COVID, because they have COVID or they're caring for someone with COVID. Um, unions push for those kinds of measures, which help not just the employees we represent, but employees all over California and help our communities writ large. And I think the pandemic, you know, again, shows um, how important it is that unions can play an important role. Um, and, you know, and, and I'm sure you're hearing about in terms of the great resignation, there's actually renewed interest even in the private sector in unionizing because, um, you know, a lot of a lot of workers are realizing that they want to turn to their unions that they already have or maybe consider unionizing um, because unions are, are, are a collective voice in the workplace and can push for safety measures and other measures that are, are, are helpful for really everyone. Um, and, you know, we've seen this even even here in California, we actually organized new charter schools at higher rates during the pandemic. We actually did our first virtual organizing um, with the downtown college prep charter. We've organized charters down in Southern California. And and, and so we're at, we actually have an uptick in, in membership as a result of this pandemic, believe it or not. And I think that's, again, because workers now feel um, empowered. Many are fed up. Um, we're seeing this with the great resignation. We're seeing it obviously in the teaching profession and unions are a place that, that workers are, are going. We'll be back with Laura Duran to say more about the plight of teachers during the pandemic and beyond next on Sirius XM Business Radio, Channel 132. Uh, we're back here with Laura Duran and Laura, we were talking about the stressors on teachers and the great resignation. Is the politicization of public education one of those stressors? And if so, how would you describe that? Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think that what we're seeing now reflects in part the stress of the pandemic, right? Um, and the and how we politicize what is really a public health emergency with this pandemic. Um, and let me just say first what teachers want on this. I mean, teachers want to teach the truth. Teachers want to have a rich and diverse curriculum that accurately reflects this nation's history. Um, and that includes being honest about race and racism in this country. Um, so, you know, so that we as a society can reckon with our mistakes and, you know, make a more just present and future, right, for our society. And teachers want students to learn critical thinking skills, um, particularly older students, right? And they want, you know, students to be exposed to a diverse set of viewpoints, again, particularly for older students. And parents actually in many ways agree with that. And we all kind of, we all sort of agree that um, teachers should, you know, should be providing a rich and diverse curriculum that is, that is honest. Um, and, but what we have, I think, are, I think we have a situation where politicians, some politicians are tapping into a real sense of uncertainty and the stress that the pandemic has really exacerbated. And pol some politicians are trying to tap into that um, to, you know, try and, te try and ban teaching about 
race and censor, you know, the trained professionals who um, are in our classrooms every day and have to do this this work. Um, and I think um, it is also, you know, the reason why this I think this really came up now, right? I mean, the CRT controversy and the like, uh, I think it was probably driven by George Floyd's killing and, um, you know, the groundswell of support that we saw in the wake of that for a racial reckoning. That happened while we're all enduring this tremendous stress around this pandemic. Um, and, 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 and it's also not just about race, you know, Joe and Rich. It's also we're seeing, um, you know, laws that ban discussion of sexual orientation or gender identity. We're seeing, I think it's at my last count, I think at least 10 states have passed laws that prohibit transgender students from participating in school support, school sports um, consistent with their gender identity. So, you know, this is happening um, in, in a couple of different uh, ways and it's, and it's putting even more stress on educators in the system. Um, educators are facing a lot of harassment from parents, uh, social media. I mean, I can give you examples from members of ours. I mean, everything from, I, we had a member who had a Black Lives Matter sign in her virtual background while teaching and a parent recorded it and she was just taken apart on social media. Um, we've had members who've been attacked for trying to talk at conferences about how they try and support LGBTQ youth um, who are unsafe. And that has been you know, misconstrued as you know, um, some kind of Marxist indoctrination of our kids. And I think it's, um, you know, very undermining of the system and, and worrisome. All right, Laura, all the attacks you've mentioned so far, broadly speaking, seem attacks from what we would simplistically call the right. Are, do teachers, is it just the right or are teachers having to negotiate with dissatisfied parents and stakeholders of all sides? I think there are dissatisfied parents on all sides on issues related to specifically this, you know, whether schools last year, whether schools should be open for in-person instruction. I think there was, you know, a lot of understandable frustration around how the state and districts were managing or the federal government for that matter, were managing the pandemic. Those frustrations we see across the board. I think particularly the controversies around um, which I think is a manufactured controversy around critical race theory um, and the and the book bans that we're seeing um, from the right and and you know and, and politicians on the right who think that this motivates their base um, um, or otherwise you know un actually undermines public schools. I mean there is an agenda out there and this is generally generally on the right um, to privatize schools and so. Um, there's an, an effort and interest in, in, in that some folks on the right have to criticize public institutions, criticize public schools, um, because they do support things like vouchers and other you know, privatization efforts. And, you know, and this is not just guesswork on my part. I mean, you know, you have, um, you know, you have folks who are pushing these agendas actually saying out loud, you know, why are parents should just leave these schools? You know, I mean, that that's, that is, you know, an agenda that we're seeing this privatization agenda, and I think it's, it's unfortunate the way some folks have tried to use the pandemic to push an agenda, which I think is very counterproductive to where we need to be going as a society. Right. So on the one hand, the schools have become kind of a political football for other ideological conflicts, but at the same time, there's this agenda to just undermine 
public education. And so in that sense, um, you know, all of this seems to come together, the teacher dissatisfaction, um, you know, the uh, getting parents dissatisfied with the public schools, well, all of that um, disserves public education, but it certainly does serve the agenda of people who'd like to undermine it or replace it with um, vouchers and private schools. That's, that's exactly right. And the book bans are the same. I mean, we're not really seeing that so much here in California, although we do have examples in particular districts where, um, you know, some groups have, have, you know, rallied at a school board meeting about, you know, Tony Morrison being read in schools and things. But, but the kind of book bans that we're seeing kind of legislatively from, you know, t- towns or states and places like Tennessee, that too is, I think, um, part of this um, effort to kind of capitalize on a lot of stress and frustration with the pandemic to try and capitalize on that to undermine public education, you know, which I think is a concern again, as I said before, public education is fundamental to our democracy. It's critical, I think. Um, and, you know, in, and in general, I feel like we need to build up more trust in our public institutions um, and public education being, you know, arguably the most important of our public institutions. Or if somebody wanted to explore some of these issues on their own, we always like to give people some sites. Uh, and I want, I want to ask you that, where you'd recommend they go. I know you've mentioned one or two sites already. The other thing I want to ask you is about volunteer opportunities, because sometimes Uh, Some of our listeners might have extra time and you might learn a lot and have a great experience getting involved in a school. I appreciate that. Um, I think, you know, in terms of resources, again, I think there's there's a lot that's been published on the teacher shortage right now. And and it really is. I, I don't think I'm exaggerating by describing it as a crisis. I think this is a real problem. If we don't have a stable workforce in our schools, um, we're not going to be able to to equip kids and, and educate kids and, and make them ready to be you know full functioning adults. It's, it's critical. Um, the, as I said, the Learning Policy Institute, um, which is an organization that uh, Lynn and Darling Hammond you know spearheaded, they're doing terrific work and they they publish a ton of reports around the teacher shortage, um, not just the data to, sh- to to establish the crisis, but then to talk about the solutions. So I would highly recommend that as a resource, for example. Um, and on volunteer op- opportunities, um, there are a lot at the local level. So um, I would there go to your local school district, and there are um, ways to get involved with. As I said, I mentioned the community school model earlier. We're seeing more around that, and and there are and the schools are partnering in that model with you know nonprofits in the community, um, even even to provide medical and dental services in schools and the like. Um, and there are also, you know, school districts, at least the public school districts also, ha- you know, in, uh, invite a lot of uh, parental um, and community um, input. And, and, and so go to school board meetings. Um, and if, you know, and if you're someone who is concerned about, you know, uh, efforts to ban discussions of race in schools, be a, be, a, be a voice uh, in support of teaching truth. Uh, go to your school board meetings and, and, and speak to that. We'd like to thank Laura Geron. I'm Rich Ford for Joe Bankman, and this is Stanford Legal on Sirius XM Business Radio, Channel 132.